Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good evening. It's good to see you tonight. It is a beautiful evening outside and a beautiful evening inside. And I'm grateful to be with you. It is an honor for me to be here. Honor to be invited. It's an honor for me to be able to speak with you because this is a Friday night. Some of y'all don't have a calendar, I know, but it's Friday night and there are a lot of places where you could be on Friday night and you've chosen to be here. And that puts you in a very wonderful category. There's one of our songs that describes, I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. My guess is that most of you are students of the book. You love God and you love God's word. And that's obvious or you wouldn't be here on a Friday evening. And I'm grateful that you are here with us tonight. In Luke chapter 10, and you're going to need your Bibles tonight, so I encourage you to lay hold of one if you did not bring one with you. Jesus spoke to one of his friends, and he said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But there is one good thing. And Mary has chosen that good thing. There's one thing that's needful. Mary has chosen that good thing that shall not be taken away from her. You have chosen tonight something that cannot be taken away from you. And that is a time with the Word of God. And I'm, I'm looking forward to our discussion this evening. I have three goals for our study this weekend. Uh, number one, I want for us to discuss and to be involved in growing in knowing. Information, awareness, appreciation, growing and knowing. Second, I want for us to focus on growing in being. Character, our nature, who we are. And third, I want for us to Reflect on growing in doing the actions that we are involved in, the choices that we make. And we'll spend our time, obviously, on our topics talking about growing. Tonight, growing into God's wisdom. What is wisdom? I read a little quote that I think is interesting, you may not agree with. The author said, wisdom is knowing that a pineapple is not some kind of apple. That's knowledge. Knowledge is knowing that a pineapple is not an apple. Wisdom is knowing that you shouldn't put it on a pizza. Now, some of you may disagree with that, but uh, people offer advice all the time. Marge and Sue were out shopping and Marge says to Sue, I'm worried about my husband and I'm, 
I'm thinking we may need to go to marriage counseling. She said, what's the problem? She said, well, he hasn't spoken to me in three months. Her friend said, I'd go slow with that. Men that good are hard to find. What is wisdom? Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could barely stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at what the old man had learned in seven years. Sometimes wisdom is finding out that during much of our life, we had a few gaps in our understanding and knowledge. Any of you play dress up as a child? Probably some of you in this auditorium have spent some time putting on your parents' clothing in some way. There are probably not very many little boys in here or many men in here who at some point, while they were little boys, didn't find their daddy's shoes at some point and slide their feet into them. Maybe move around the bedroom or or perhaps slip into a, a jacket that's out. And of course, they don't fit. Or a young girl who puts on a, a, her mother's clothes or, or perhaps some jewelry and maybe tries to apply some lipstick to her face and you may find a, a young girl who has clearly trying to grow into a a perspective or an understanding or an ideal that she doesn't understand yet. Sometimes the wisdom of God doesn't seem like it fits us. We may read the scriptures and have an idea or a concept expressed to us, and maybe we'll accept for at least argument's sake that it is wisdom But we have trouble grabbing hold of it in some way. And the problem is not that it's not wisdom. The problem is that we have not yet grown enough to really understand what's there. Isaiah chapter 55, God expresses this idea, and many others perhaps, with the idea, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, as my ways and thoughts are As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways and thoughts are above you. We are not naturally going to come to God's wisdom. It's going to be a stretch. We'll have to grow into it. So we're going to grow into the wisdom of God. Not just growing with more wisdom, but growing up so that the wisdom of God fits us. Now, what does God's wisdom look like? I wish I could show you a picture of that, but I'm not sure that I can. But I can show you an idea of it. Let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross 
is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And Satan said, when he was hungry, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. You know the Lord's response. What did he say? And the Lord answered and said to them, or said to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, what does that mean? Jesus understood that, that the words of God were not just ideas and concepts that stood alone, but rather they were, they were the essence of what it meant to relate to God. That was God's wisdom for us in Scripture. And I hope that we aspire to come to that wisdom to that, that knowledge, that understanding. Tonight I want to look at three verses as we sort through this idea and as we grow into God's wisdom. The first two are from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10. I'm interested in the beginning at verse 12. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Is there anyone in this room who has not held a, uh, a can of spray paint? I have many, many cans of paint in my shop. And if you let them sit there very long, like a month or two or three, or a year or two or three, or sometimes ten or more, they get a little hard to use. In fact, before you can use them, you have to stir them up. The concept of stirring up is, is clear that the can usually has a, a little ball bearing in the bottom of it. And if you pick up the can and shake it and it doesn't rattle, you know that all the pigment has fallen out. Paint that we use to paint on walls and furniture, uh, you know, metal things and, and various objects around the house and trailers and whatever. 
when you spray that paint out or you take a paintbrush and you, you, you paint it out or a roller, the paint pigment is suspended in a medium. And in order to be able to use that, it has to be stirred up into that medium. And so you get that can, and sometimes we call it a rattle can, and it's got a, a ball on the bottom of it, and you start shaking it up, and it may not rattle at the beginning, but you keep shaking it, and eventually you can get it all stirred up. And once it's stirred up, then it's ready to be used. Hatred stirs up strife. Now, the concept of, of stirring up can either be positive or negative. Peter uses it when he addresses the church. He says, as long as I'm in this tent, I think it is my job to stir you up by remembrance. He's going to keep them agitated, but that's in a good way. But this idea here, this is, this is not in a good way. Hatred stirs up strife. Strife is another word for strife is conflict or animosity or trouble. Do we see it in real life? Genesis chapter 27 records a story for us. Two boys born that we know well, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, and we're not going to speak up for him, uh, he and his mother... Um, and the picture there in Genesis chapter 12 is of a fairly, dis- excuse me, of Genesis 27 is, is of a fairly dysfunctional family uh, where you have a mother and a father who each have their favorite child, although these are twin boys. And the father is more fond of Esau and the mother is more fond of Jacob. And through their conniving, Jacob and his mother trick deceive their father into giving a blessing to Jacob. When Esau comes in and finds out about it and what has taken place, he is angry. It is looking at the death of the father. Isaac is old. He's about to die. And Esau says... When the mourning period for my father is gone, I will kill my brother, Jacob. Why? He hated him. And that hatred stirred up something inside of him and it caused that that difficulty or strife. Ten years later, we're with the next family. And now Jacob is the father. He treated his brother and his father disrespectfully, cheated them, and now he is the father. And he has given birth through his uh, beloved wife to Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 records what happens regarding that son and the difficulties and challenges that are there. Let's start reading in verse 3. Genesis 37 verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children. Bad parenting sometimes is passed down from one generation to another. Good parenting also, but we need to be careful that bad things not get passed along. Jacob grew up in a family where the parents did not love the children equally. And now he's got his own children, and he does not love them equally. 
And it creates problems in his family also. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Now verse 4, Genesis 37. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now where's that hatred going to show up? You know where the rest of this story goes. His brothers hated Joseph, and because of that hatred, it's going to stir up strife. Conflict, trouble. Hatred is a problem. And what's going to happen to Joseph because of this is certainly going to be a problem. Hatred is a heart disease. It's a disease of our heart. And when we're involved in hatred, then all kinds of bad things are going to come from that. If you, if you watch the news or read the newspaper, which I guess is gone, but some stories off the internet or magazines. But especially if you you listen to the daily media forms, there's so much anger and there's so much hatred that is expressed in the ideas and the lives of people. And how does it show itself? It shows itself in murder. It shows itself in, in rape and abuse. It shows itself in hostility of various kinds, in road rage, in all kinds of terrible ways. Here's the wisdom of God. Hatred stirs up strife. But the rest of that verse says, but love covers all sins. Hatred stirs up. Love covers In the spring of 1977, I was at Fried Hardeman University, and I was staying in Benson Dorm. Some of you who may know the campus might know the, uh, the buildings there. I was in the third floor of Benson Dorm, and looking out from our window, the cars of the students were lined up below us, probably not more than uh, six, eight feet away from the windows, it was a pretty narrow uh, stretch of turf there that, that separated the parking lot from the, school it's, uh, from the building itself. One morning I got up and looked out my window, and I looked down in the parking lot, and uh, one of the cars, fairly close to our window, had the evidence of somebody having thrown eggs out on top of this car. I commented to my roommate and my sweetmate. I said, look, somebody threw eggs at this car. Townies or someone on campus or someone has has egged this car. And I had no idea whose car it was. Doubted I knew who was involved in, in the activity. A few minutes later, I went back to the window. And my sweetmate, who I had made the observation to, 
had gone and gotten a bucket and some soapy water and a wash rag, his wash rag from our shower, and he was down there scrubbing the egg off of that car. It wasn't his car. I don't know if he knew whose it was or not. Maybe it was a friend of his. But he was out there trying to clean up the damage that was done or could be done by, by leaving that air. Hatred stirs up trouble. Love brings a soapy bucket to try to clean it up. That's God's wisdom. Wisdom number two, still in Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. A man was reading a report to his wife. The report said that in the day-to-day experiences of life, men speak approximately 10,000 words, and women speak approximately 20,000 words every day. And the man was uh, prodding his, his wife with that. See there, you women are all mouthy and all such as this, and, and uh, you all talk twice as much as we men do. Why do you think that is? His wife, unbothered, unflustered, simply responded, because we have to say everything twice. And he said, what? We have to say everything twice. You ever thought about after an evening of conversation you have with friends, maybe you've had some time out with them, you've been some setting where there are lots of folks gathered around, and you get through at the end and maybe you're reflecting on some of the things that took place and some of the things that were said and Have you ever thought afterwards, I wish I hadn't have said some of those things. I wish I hadn't have talked that much. I wish I hadn't have told some of those stories. Of course, it's too late. But that's still coming to a point of wisdom, awareness, understanding. In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. When James begins to talk about the tongue in James chapter 2, and there's a number of statements that he makes, and and, um, there are statements made in chapter 3 about our relationship with our tongue, especially it's a a little thing, it it sets on fire a a great thing. But he says regarding the tongue, we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. 
Now the word that is translated there perfect comes from the Greek text teleos. And it doesn't mean flawless. It means complete, thorough. If you took a pie and you cut it into eight pieces and you took one of the pieces of the pie out, it's not perfect anymore. It doesn't mean it's not flawless. You could put that piece back and the pie is perfect. Well, yeah, but it's cut and it's, it's sliced up and it may not be sitting on the pie pan. That doesn't matter. The concept of teleos is not perfection. It is completion. So it is, it has all its parts. It is full grown. It's, it's totally mature and complete. The person who does not sin in word got it all together. There's such a challenge. The writer of Proverbs would describe there is a time for silence and a time to speak. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 7. Sometimes we get those mixed up. Sometimes we speak when we should be silent. Sometimes we're silent when we need to speak. But what are we going to speak? Regarding the content of what we say and how we demonstrate our words and life. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, the word that is translated there, corrupt, means to be vile, rotten, worthless. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good, necessary, or needed to edify. Now, the word edify means to build up, to to strengthen, to provide for. That we may impart grace to the hearers. Now, here's an interesting concept that Paul has in mind regarding our our mouths. What we, we do with our words. Don't let any words come out of your mouth that are rotten. But instead, make sure that those words are needful, necessary, that they build up, and that they are a gift to other people. Probably you have conversations with people and you realize that when you talk to them, you're made better. You feel better about yourself. You feel better about God. You feel better about your life. You feel better about other people. Because they have brought you words that are a gift. They have edified. And there are probably some other people that you may spend time with. And you realize after having spent time with them that they don't make you feel better about your life. And they don't make you feel better about God. And they don't make you feel better about other people. How are we supposed to understand wisdom here? In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he 
who restrains his lips is wise. Wisdom from God here is learning to make sure that there are things that we don't say. Are the words that we speak grace or garbage? Are they jewels or are they junk? Let's grow up into this wisdom of God. Number three. Also from Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're only going to take the first part of that verse, and that's, that's the extent of our discussion tonight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what do we mean by the word fear? Is that, is that fright? Is that terror? Well, there's a certain element of that in it, but now it means to, to have respect or awe or reverence for. Several years ago, I was building a, an addition onto my shop. And I was working with the electrical panel, and because of the way certain of the circuits worked in my garage, it was necessary, or at least it seemed so at the time, to work on that circuit hot. Now, some of you know exactly what I mean by that. The, the panel for all the circuit breakers has a, a large cover over it, and uh, that prevents you from being able to do anything except flip the switch. But if you take that panel off, what's under there are all these exposed wires. And those exposed wires have electricity in them. And if you touch those exposed wires and the, the ground at the same time, you could be shocked. You could be killed. There's a lot of voltage and current, and it's, it's very dangerous. Now, is it possible to work with a panel that's hot? Sure, electricians do it all the time. But when you do so, you, you have a recognition that this is important to pay attention to. It's not something you do casually. It's something you're very careful about. Now, as long as you don't touch this wire and the ground at the same time, you're okay. You make a slip, you're not okay. Now, it... it it's better when possible to be able to turn the power off, work the circuit cold, then you don't have to worry about an accident. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of, the, of getting shocked may be the beginning of electrical wisdom. You shouldn't be working in that panel if you're not afraid of it. Now that doesn't mean it, it freezes you from being able to complete your task, but you need to know going in this can hurt you if you don't pay attention to it. Our reverence for, our awe for, or our respect for God is what carries us to understand God's wisdom. That's the beginning. And if we don't fear God, if we don't respect God, if we don't reverence God. We will never come to God's wisdom. I've got a question for you. Why did Israel fail as a nation? Oh, we could spend a, a good bit of time talking about it. Uh, we could debate all the 
the issues that came up. There's an interesting discussion that happens in in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4, as Moses has gone off to receive the, uh, the commandments from God, and uh, the people say, well, this Moses guy, he's gone, and so uh, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron calls for the people to break off their earrings, their gold earrings, and he takes them all, and they form and make a golden calf. And then he announces to them, here are your gods that brought you out of Egypt, O Israel. Why did they go astray? They didn't respect God. They didn't want God. They didn't want to know what God's will was. They didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to be around God. They didn't want anything to do with God. And that's why they failed. What's wrong with our world? Oh, we don't have time for all of that. But we do have time to read a statement from Paul in Romans chapter 1. Beginning in verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Why is our world in failure? Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, The men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting." Sounds like our world, doesn't it? Why did Israel fail? They they didn't want God. What's wrong with our world? Our world doesn't want God. Why? Because God has rules. God has laws. God has morals. God has expectations. God's wisdom draws us to understand the things that are about God, but people don't want that wisdom. Okay, another question. Are we any better in the church than the world is? Oh, yes, by far. Without doubt, we are far better than the world. But we still have some old problems that, that are there. 
When James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. It's not just about knowing what the Bible teaches that makes us understand God's wisdom. We need to grow up in knowing, but we need to grow up also in being and grow up in doing. If you want to see just how up to date the scriptures are, let's go back to an old text. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. Now, Ezekiel is pouring out the information regarding why God is going to reject the people and has brought rejection on them. And and I want to read part of that, but I'm especially interested in the end. Start up with me in verse 23. Ezekiel 33, verse 23. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land. We are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations and you defile one another's wives. Should you possess the land? Say thus to them, Thus says the Lord God, As surely as I live, Those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword, and the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and the caves shall die of pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. All right, now... Catch up here. God says, here's where they are and here's what they did. They say, the people say, we're strong enough to maintain this land. God, is, God gave it to Abraham. Abraham was only one. We're a mighty nation. We can stay here. Abraham didn't conquer the land by himself. The land was given by God. Israel didn't conquer the land because they were so mighty. It was given by God. And God says, I'm going to take it away. You don't belong here. You don't belong here because you're not following my commandments. You are debasing yourself with idolatry. You are turning against my laws regarding marriage and fidelity. You are immoral. Why should I leave you in this land? Keep reading. As for you, now verse 30, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. 
And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Here's God through through Ezekiel. The people are living immoral lives. I've given them my wisdom how to follow, but they're not following it. But they're interested in hearing you. How does the church respond to God's word? I'm grateful that you're here on Friday night. I, I truly am. But if all we do when we hear the preaching of the word of God is just listen, then it didn't do us any good. James said if the, if the word does not become a part of us, if it's, if it's not grafted in, it's like someone who looks at themselves in a mirror and then goes away and they forget what they saw in the mirror. So continue to look into this law and be doers of the word, not just hearers deceiving yourself. Ezekiel talked to the people and, and God said, they, they're talking about you. They say, come and listen to the prophet. But they approach you like you're, like you're an entertainer, like you're a good singer, like you have a pleasant voice and what you say is enjoyable to hear. I, from time to time, have people come out and meet me in the foyer and um, like all preachers and settings, I have people who are complimentary of the words that they heard. Sometimes it's a good preaching or, you know, good sermon, or sometimes I really needed that. Did we take it in here? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Until we understand the the incredible relationship that that God represents and the, the power of His Word, we won't understand God's wisdom and we can't grow up into it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, do you believe that? Do you hold on to that, that idea, that concept that, that these words are intended to, to change us? You know what my hope for America resides in? In Genesis chapter 18, God comes to where Abraham is and he's going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as he comes and makes preparation for that, there's a debate that happens there. And God says, should I withhold from from Abraham, who's going to be a, a mighty man, a mighty nation, what's going to take place? And so the Lord reveals, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to see whether or not the cries that have come up to me are true. And if they are, I'm going to destroy it. Now, Lot's living there. Lot and his family are, have pitched their tent toward Sodom. So Abraham's got a vested interest in, in this place. And now God 
says he's going to destroy all of this area where Abraham's family is living. So Abraham comes to their defense. And he said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? What if there are 50 righteous souls in those cities? Will you destroy it even though those 50 are there? I'll not destroy it for 50. The bargaining begins and you know how it goes. Finally, Genesis chapter 18, verse 32. Abraham comes to the very end and he says, Lord, I will, don't be angry. Let me speak just one more time. What if there are 10? And the Lord said, I will not destroy the cities for the sake of 10. I see what's happening in our country. You do too. I see the immorality that's growing. You do too. I see the hostility against God. If God was speaking to us today, what would he say? I see the slaughter of these infants. You realize that's an adjustment that's taking place now in our Supreme Court, and I'm grateful for it, but it doesn't remove that stigma from our world. You're teaching your children and and blurring the lines of their very identity as to being male or female. God says, I see this. Surely God understands where we are. But you know, as we see all of these things, my, my comfort is knowing, I look out at a room like this, and how many are in this room? I don't know. Way more than 10. If God was going to destroy the city of Huntsville because of its immorality... He looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah were totally, completely given over to immorality, and yet God said, I won't destroy them for the sake of ten. Now, there weren't ten to be found, but there's comfort there that had there been ten, God would not have destroyed that city. Us, growing up into the wisdom of God, is helping our nation. Now, there are lots of challenges, and and we're not going to fix them all. We won't fix them tonight. They won't fix them in your lifetime, and, and we will not be able to solve them as a church or churches in the Huntsville area. But when people come to understand and grow up into God's wisdom, we're made better. Our world is made better. Our community is made better. Our families are made better. Grow up in knowing. Come to a greater understanding and a knowledge of God. Grow up in being. It's not enough just for us to go along. We need to be different, to be better, to improve ourselves. You plant a little tree out in your yard, and it's okay that it's a little tree to begin with, but you don't expect it to stay little. You want it to get bigger, to get mature, to strengthen itself, to grow, to develop. As Christians, we need to grow and develop. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Grow up in knowledge, grow up in being grow up in doing the choices, the actions, 
the things we do every day. Get better. Let's pray together. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.